Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful that we can come together before you. We're thankful for uh, uh, for Jim's efforts and to prepare lessons that are so enlightening. We we pray we'll have a good service today and that you'll, you'll uh, you know, strengthen Jim and that we would all be open and have a good understanding of what, what is covered. Um, we're thankful that we can bring our concerns to you and that you, if we do so with, um, in, in, with Thanksgiving, that you promise us your peace. And, and um, we know as we, there's been so many challenges we see here that uh, we just are, are thankful that you work all things together for good to those that love you. That love you, and we're, and we know that um, we can love you because you loved us, and help us to appreciate what has been accomplished for us through your son. Our government, we remains in such a, a difficult position, and we pray that um, politicians would become the statesmen that they're supposed to be, and work for uh, the right solutions rather than the uh, political advantage that they often seem to, to search for. But we just pray that you could strengthen us and. And, and strengthen um, the key politicians and the, the the impact that they can have on us. Um, it would be uh, thankful that you do work all things together for good, Father. And we're thankful again for this this study this morning. There's something we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. Well, uh, by way of uh, introduction. Let me just say uh, again that uh, last time we gathered, we had the privilege of looking at what Paul wrote in the first letter to Timothy when he wrote these words, and I will read them again because they're so, so critically important to understand. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Nevertheless, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom Paul is the first in a long series. That's uh, that's the bottom line there. He came into the world to save sinners, of whom Paul is the first in a long series. Uh, I think that needs to be taken to heart. Otherwise, we'll be quite confused as to how to understand Scripture and and we'll be quite confused. Uh, consequently, if we don't learn how to understand Scripture and divide the word correctly, we'll be quite confused as to what God is even doing today, right? And what our place in all of that is. Uh, but our place in what God is doing is glorious indeed, as we'll see as we continue today. So what Paul says there, if you uh, understand the words I just read, is that Christ, when he saved Paul and then set him forth as apostle to the Gentiles, um, Christ set Paul forth and enabled him to be 
what's called here a pattern, a pattern, okay? Uh, a, a sort of super example, super type. Actually, that would be the very, very, very most literal translation of that word there, translated pattern in the King James. It would be a super or hyper type <laughs> or a an example greater than which there is none, right? Uh, of, of what it means to live out the newness of life that we've all been gifted with. And so we must look to him as our example. I'm saying to Paul because Paul knows the Christ, the, the ascended Christ, right? And it's been taught by him and enabled by him, empowered by him, and, and given the words that need to be shared with us. So we must look to Paul to find out what it means to live out these great privileges that we've been given here under grace. Okay, so Paul writes about these things much in his letters, and what you're going to see today, I think, and I hope your your eyes and of understanding and hearts will be open, because I actually don't think I could present to you a greater message than what I will present to you today. I mean, I just think this is so critical. Now, there are two components we, we saw in those verses I just read. How And we, we considered this now for a couple of our meetings, so it's not anything new to, to you if you've been here. Uh, but some of you haven't been here the last few meetings, so let me just say this. There are two aspects to the grace of God in... Uh, in his work with Paul, and they're both implied there in First Timothy chapter 1, but one of them is specifically identified, and that is the grace of God in saving, in saving Paul, and in that, he is our example, okay? So we are, sal- we are saved in ways quite parallel to how Paul was, not in all the details. I mean, Christ hasn't appeared to us, uh, blinded us, uh, spoken to us directly from heaven in any of that, okay? But there are many other similarities. Uh, Paul was the enemy of God. In fact, you could easily argue he was the chief enemy at the time, right? And not only of God and his work, but of every believer that he could identify, round up, and turn over for punishment or even death, right? So Paul, as chief of sinners, uh, not not that he was the greatest sinner of all time, but that he's the first now first sinner saved entirely by grace. That's the point of it. Okay, so Paul is our example in how he was saved as a sinner saved by grace, and secondly, he's our example in how the grace of God sanctifies us. Sanct- or sets us apart for the work of God and then enables us in all of that. So there are these two different components here, the saving part and the sanctifying part. And when Paul says he's set forth to be an example, I'm quite sure he means both, because what you're going to see as we look at other parts of his writings, his, his letters today, is how he emphasizes both. But actually, for the most part, he emphasizes the second part of that, the sanctifying part uh, in his letters. Uh, 
Okay, so I mean, I I think every every person Paul ministered to had a living proof that Paul had been saved. Now, of course, the false teachers denied it, right? But uh, they had a living proof right before their very very eyes. But to know that it is the grace of Christ that's enabling and empowering and Him always and that sort of thing was something to be learned day by day and hour by hour. And that's what Paul writes about in his letters. Again, because the false teachers were denying that he was an apostle. I'm serious. They denied that he was an apostle at all, right? They denied that the work that Paul did was the work of an apostle. They denied that he had authority uh, over them. And they denied the truth of what he spoke and what he wrote. Now, all these things that Paul did were enabled by the risen Christ. So uh, we're going to see more about that today. So there's those two two aspects, the salvation and the sanctification, where Paul is our example. Uh, now, next time, Lord willing, we'll consider the enabling part of this uh, specifically. Okay, so we'll save that. For next time. But uh, Paul does write uh, often about his suffering, and that's really, I think, um, a large enough aspect of his writing that we could, we could say that's sort of the third dimension of the revelation given through Paul concerning the suffering of Paul, what it means, what its signification is, and how the empowering Paul received to endure that suffering is the same empowering that we uh, look forward to receiving today when we also are drawn into the sphere of his suffering. So that's sort of the third dimension. Um, there's another dimension, too, though, and I'm going to look at that now and try to guide you through this. That is um, the fourth dimension. And uh, <laughs> that one is something that I think you'll find compelling, and uh, I hope you find it uh, powerful in drawing you in a special way into Paul's letters in a, maybe a way that you've never been drawn before. Okay, so that fourth dimension we'll look at now, and that uh, to do that, I'm going to use uh, three words, rather, sorry, let me say this a different way. One word, three ways. <laughs> that word is fullness, fullness, F-U-L-L-N-E-S-S, -S, fullness. Paul uses this word a lot, okay? It is one of Paul's favorite words. Seriously, I mean, if you made a list of all of the, word, the Greek words that Paul uses in his letters and ranked them in, in order of uh, usage, you'd find out that this word pleroma or pleroo, the verb, uh, is used uh, more than most words, not more than the word Christ or you know, clearly, but uh, in faith. But it is used very, very often. It is one of Paul's favorite words. And our words to you today will be the first of three parts focused on this word fullness, fullness. Today, we'll have the privilege to just focus on the first kind of fullness. But there are really three 
three dimensions. So let me give them to you now. And so this will be for today and the next two uh, meetings. First of all, the fullness of the word of God, the fullness of the word of God given to Paul for our edification. Okay. The second is the fullness of Christ's suffering given to Paul for our example. And the third is the fullness of Christ's supply given to us for our empowering. Okay. Uh, so today, the fullness of the word of God given to Paul for our edification. Now, what a privilege it is to see this so clearly revealed. And, and what I'll be pointing out to you are things you may have missed. Or I, have you, I hope you haven't missed them. I hope you've seen these things and, and considered them and contemplated them and uh, so forth before. But if not, today will be a great introduction to that wonderful blessing. Uh, Paul writes about this a lot, and I'll just be pointing out some of the key references to you today. It all begins to be revealed when Paul is first saved, but it's only later in Acts chapter 26 where this is made known because in the earlier statements of Paul's salvation in Acts 9 or in Acts 22, much later, or, you know, finally, uh, we see the details uh, of, of this given more more specifically in Acts 26. So I'll read to you from Acts 26, verses 16 through 18. And what we're going to see here is something Paul also refers to in Galatians 2. And we'll be going to that. Uh, after we finish these three pieces here on the fullness. So in Acts 26, uh, where we see hinted at a profound truth, and that's that Christ actually taught Paul for over three years. Okay, <laughs> this is just absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, how long did Christ on earth teach his disciples? How long? Three Plus years, that's all, okay? How long did Christ from heaven teach Paul? Three plus years. Perfect parallel there. Only in the one case, it's Christ teaching on earth concerning the coming earthly kingdom, which was Israel's hope, of course, uh, down through the centuries. In the second case, it's Paul being taught by the ascended and the risen Christ concerning heavenly things that have to do with us, the body of Christ. Okay? And so I'll read there from Acts 26, verse 16 through 18. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, past tense, and of those things in which I will appear unto you, future tense, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. And this is the purpose then of it all, the purpose that Paul has been now saved and set forth as our example, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith 
that is in me. Okay, this is Paul's divinely given purpose, directly from the ascended and risen Christ Jesus. Okay, uh, notice all the words there that become so important as we study uh, Paul's letters, right? From darkness to light, right? Power of Satan to God, to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive an inheritance, right? And this is all, he says, in the realm of sanctification, right? By faith that is in me, in Christ. Okay, so through this private teaching, and we'll see from Galatians, it lasted a long time, and even here it's hinted at, that the risen and ascended Christ enabled Paul to complete his mission, to complete this incredible uh, journey in, in this life, until finally, through martyrdom, <clears throat> he's caught up to be with the Lord in glory himself, right? Um, private teaching just for Paul, and what we're going to see is this word fullness. Fullness keeps getting repeated because uh, what we're going to see today is how the fullness of the revelation of God was given to Paul. Okay? He calls it also in Colossians chapter 1 that we'll look at now, the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He also says there, that maturity in the faith today, maturity in the faith today, under grace, requires that revelation. And the working out of it, in, a, in other words, how we are to live our lives today, is dependent upon the revelation of God given through Christ to Paul uh, in those three and a half years. So our key scripture today in Colossians chapter 1 will emphasize both the unique message and the unique ministry of Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles. Now, we're going to see all of this demonstrated very clearly here. There are only five verses in which Paul states this, this truth that totally transforms. I mean, really, if anything could open your eyes, draw you into this truth, and set your life on a new course, it would be these these verses here. Now, I'm talking about believers, because he's not sharing what the gospel is here. That's presumed. Paul is writing to believers here in Colossians chapter 1. If we take these words to heart, I guarantee you, your life will be changed. Okay. So, in the very center of this teaching is the fullness of the word of God given to Paul, for our edification. The other aspects of this that I mentioned before, we'll look at next time in the following, but they're all based on the first. They cannot exist with the, without this one. And that is the fullness of the word of God. Now, may, may God richly bless us now as we look at these words. May the Holy Spirit open your heart to these words. They are so important. Okay, there are three three aspects to what I want to say now, okay, concerning the fullness of the Word of God. First of all, the Word of God, God is completed, completed, or filled full by the revelation. Sorry, I can't help you with that. Sorry about that. 
by the revelation given to Paul, the word is filled full. Okay? That's what he says there. So I'd like the words to be read for us slowly and carefully. If you would, Lisa, you, you read for us Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 and 26. And admittedly, we're jumping right in the middle of a sentence here. Paul is talking uh, about uh, a number of things there. But concerning all of that truth that Paul was given to minister to the saints, right? He then continues his thought with these words. So Lisa, chapter 1, verses 25 through 26. Okay. Whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Thank you, Lisa. Now, those are great words. Okay, now, I, if I were not telling you this, I think you would see it on your own. I mean, isn't it clear from what's written here? In a sense, it's not necessary for me to tell you these things. All I'm going to do is point out very carefully what stands written. Okay, that's all I can do. Um, but that will be sufficient, I pray. <clears throat> right? So here, there's a statement made that's crystal clear, if only we would receive it as intended. Okay? Notice the word fulfill. Right? That shows the purpose of what was just stated before. Right? So Paul says, I've been made a minister in accordance with a dispensation. Now, why is everybody uh, so happy to leave the word dispensation out of their spiritual biblical language and talk? Well, because of what Paul says here, I'm sure uh, they're unwilling to receive this as the truth of God, but uh, I hope that we can receive it and will. He says, to fulfill, that's the purpose for which God was given this great ministry. He says, to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery. And then he goes on, that which had been kept secret, but now is revealed, right? The word fulfill here, don't assume that somehow this is talking about prophecy because he specifically says it's not about prophecy. It's not about what was already revealed. You see that? He points that out in the next breath, right? It's about what was not ever revealed before, but is now being revealed. How? Through this truth given by the ascended, resurrected Christ directly to Paul. Okay, so Christ is teaching Paul, giving him the very words of the revelation which had been kept secret. You see that. Okay. Um, so the word fulfill here is not intended in the sense of prophecy being fulfilled at all. It's rather that the word of God, which mankind had, had ever since it was first given to anyone, right? And I take it the first revelation to God was to Adam, right? And then to Abel and so forth. And finally, you know, there's some other prophets and then finally Moses and so forth and so on, right? Much later. Um, so that prophecy isn't what we're talking about here. The word fulfill here means to fill full. In fact, that's literally what this Greek word means, to fill full. 
uh, I said it's one of uh, Paul's favorite words. He uses it a lot. You're going to see that uh, as as we proceed. But um, just to get a get a, a leg up, as it were, on it, do a word study on uh, on the Greek word translated fulfill here. Here, and you'll see there are a lot of places where Paul uses this word or uh, a cognate word. In other words, one built up out of this just by adding other uh, prefixes and suffixes and so forth. Uh, the Greek language is a wonderful thing. It's an analytic language. Uh, it lets God communicate his truth very, very precisely uh, by the very nature of the language itself. So a root word can have other uh, uh, prefixes and so forth added for emphasis or to slightly change the focus or suffixes put on, just like in English. Actually, English is a quite analytic language also. Okay, now the next words identify more what what he's talking about here. So when he talks about fulfilling or completing the word of God, adding that which hadn't yet been revealed, he's talking about the mystery. The mystery is what had been kept secret. Okay, uh, it had been kept secret from ages and generations. In other words, uh, from the beginning on, uh, it had not been revealed, right? But now Paul is revealing it, and he, in his ministry, often is revealing it, as we'll see as we go along here. Okay, so this is that which fills full or completes the word of God. He's talking about the revelation Christ gave to him, okay, in the three or three and a half years of Bible seminary. Uh, Paul had the greatest teacher anyone ever had in seminary. This was the greatest seminary that ever existed, uh, I'm sure. Well, at least in one sense, it's from our personal point of view, certainly. I don't know that the 12 apostles would have been able to agree with what I just said because they didn't give that, they were not given that understanding. Even Peter later, he said, well, our beloved brother Paul wrote to you things that people twist and turn. He says they're very difficult to understand. That's what Peter wrote in his letter about what we're talking about here today. But it's not difficult for us, not when the Spirit gives us understanding, right? Okay, it should be crystal clear. Okay, so this is all about... And he also uses the word dispensation. And he also, this is all about the dispensation of God, which is also called in other places the dispensation of the grace of God. It's also called in another place that dispensation, the one which is, is of faith as opposed to the law, which was not of faith only, but was of works, right? Okay, so... A question then that you might ask, and uh, so that you don't have to ask it, I'll ask it. Um, if Paul fulfilled or completed the word of God through his writings, then uh, what about the other things that everybody assumes were written later by other apostles, right? What about the revelation of the apostle John, for example, right? Everybody assumes it's written much later, after Paul's martyrdom maybe two decades after that right maybe three okay paul lived uh, rather john lived to be of a quite elderly age 
What about that? Well, I would just say this. Um, there are two ways we can understand what Paul wrote here. One is that he completes in his letters everything that is needed for our understanding. Okay, so no one else came along and added then to the revelation concerning the body of Christ and the dispensation of grace and so forth, right? They were writing about other matters. In fact, they were writing about Israel and to, and to Jews, right? So that's one way to understand it. Paul writes the completed body of truth needed for us saints today under grace, right? Uh, another way one can understand it is that he really finished the Bible, right? That, in fact, these last words of Paul were the last words written uh, that are inspired, that is. In, in that case, John's revelation would have had to already been written at this point. I don't think there's any clear proof that John's revelation was written later. Many think there's some proof of that. I find that a little difficult to comprehend. But anyway, uh, as the case may be, Paul says he's now completed the uh, the word uh, that we uh, that we need here as members of Christ's heavenly body. Okay, now that's the written word we're talking about. The written word, right? Paul writes of that in Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen, where he says, "All Scripture is." given by inspiration of God and is profitable and so forth, right? That includes the words he's writing right there, okay? <laughs> uh, indeed, <laughs> that's what we're talking about here. The words given by Christ to Paul for us that Paul then wrote down, right? His written words were inspired. Um, God breathed out, as it were, to and through Paul. No errors allowed, okay? But then what about his spoken words? Paul was in for years uh, on missionary journeys, right? Speaking, teaching, preaching, and so forth everywhere he went. What about Paul's spoken words? Is there anything uh, really uh, significant about those? Or maybe then they were full of errors and the people who heard them had to discern between truth and error or something like that. Well, no, I think you'll uh, see otherwise as we continue on here today. And I want you to see the background for what I've just said in Second Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, Gail, would you please read verses 3 and 4 of Second Corinthians 13? Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Okay, thank you, Gail. So Paul here is making an amazing statement. Amazing indeed. He says, uh, there's great power being displayed, even though he personally is weak. In fact, he uses the strongest possible words about that, <laughs> uh, referring to Christ's crucifixion, right? Christ was crucified through weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. In other words, in resurrection glory, right? And he says of himself, well, we're also weak, 
but we'll live too by the power of God toward you. So Paul demonstrates the power of God. Well, he demonstrates it specifically in the words that he speaks. You see that in verse 3. Since you seek the proof of Christ speaking in me. Very interesting choice of words. In fact, you'll see that Paul chooses words in an interesting way, but in a powerful way to communicate this truth that I'm focused on right now, which is that Paul's spoken words also reflected what Christ said to him. In other words, the words that Christ spoke and gave to Paul as he taught him from heaven are the words that Paul then speaks and shares to unbelievers and to believers in his missionary journeys, okay? (laughs) And they're written of in the scriptures, right? They're written about in Paul's letters, as we see right here. So this, this statement here confirms what I've just said, which is that when Paul speaks, he can speak the words of Christ. And uh, that's uh, just an amazing thing to think about. It's not hard to understand. I hope it's not hard to receive and to accept that Paul, by the power of God, was able to minister the word of God. And many times that was specifically what Christ had taught him. Of course, he's also ministering truths from the Old Testament and, and, and so forth and so on. Uh, but, but, but certainly the revelation of the mystery of the dispensation of the sacred secret is uh, truth that God through Christ gave to Paul for us. And it's to be a great, great blessing for us, as we'll see here. In fact, when we, when we finish up today, the focus will be on the blessing of it all. Okay. That's where we're, where we're going here today. The blessing of it. Not the details that we're looking at now. Those will contribute, but they'll be the foundation of it. But really it's the blessing of it that's most important for you and for me, uh, through the day as we face the challenges of the day and so forth. We need to be able to sing a song of God's glory, right? Throughout our lives. Now let's look at some other scriptures. These, uh, that one we just read there, that Gail just read, that's not all. There, there are other places where Paul uh, writes of this, uh, that Christ gave him the words that he was to share. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. I'm just going to read these quickly. Second Corinthians 2, 17. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity... But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. As of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Okay, or of Christ, depending upon how you might like to translate that. But uh, uh, the point here is that the word of God was being spoken by Paul spoken by Paul, not only written by Paul, spoken by Paul, right? And these were the words, it was the word of God and was spoken, I think, in Christ, meaning with with divine empowerment, okay? Uh, Paul knew 
that he was speaking truthfully, in other words, right? <laughs> Think about that. He knew he was not speaking as just a man. And when he was speaking as just a man, he knew that too, right? And we'll see that in a moment. We'll look at another scripture to see that, okay? Now, let's look at Colossians 3.16, where Paul uh, continues to write about this. In Colossians 3.16, he, he, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making... Uh, well, I was going <laughs> to—I nearly quoted from Ephesians instead because the two are so similar. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Okay, a parallel passage in in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians and Colossians were written at the same time, and so uh, a lot of the language is quite similar, but not identical. Okay, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, these are not the red letters. Paul, in fact, never quotes Christ. In any of his letters, really, you might find that incredible, but it's true. He doesn't quote Christ, not Christ as Christ was on earth, right? He quotes Christ as Christ spoke to him from heaven. And so when he says here the word of Christ, he's talking about the words that he's now communicating, right? Those words are the words of Christ given to Paul and through Paul to us and to so many others uh, who were alive at the, the time Paul ministered, right? Another place to go, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that, which we, are, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede, you know, uh, in more modern English, shall not precede them which are asleep. Okay? Uh, we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So this is the word of the Lord, Christ Jesus given to Paul, in this case, for these Thessalonians and, and through this writing for all of us believers today, right? This is the word of Christ. Okay? Now another place, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Well, he's praying for himself that he would have free course to speak the word and the words of Christ, right? And that this might be accomplished for great benefit of the believers, right? Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. So from this, and I could go to other scriptures, this is not all there is uh, that we could look at, but from this we must draw certain conclusions, okay? At least these two. Firstly, that for the church, the body of Christ, Paul's revelation is essential and it stands apart from the writings of the other apostles, which are of a different sort altogether. Well, why different? Well, because they're for the nation of Israel, for the Jews, and for their future kingdom blessings, and for their present blessing, insofar as they uh, are hoping uh, on the Lord God to eventually provide what he's promised, right? So it is the word of the Lord, and it is the word of Christ that's essential. Secondly, Paul's letters 
provide the spiritual food for the saints today who are living under grace. And, and not in the same way the other Old Testament or New Testament writings. Okay, now when I say this, I'm saying it's not that we exclude the rest of the Bible and pay no attention to it. No, not that at all. Not that at all. We just spent two years here, which I think I have never done before in all of my decades of ministry, spent two years on, for the most part, really on the non-Pauline writings, right? Old Testament, New Testament. But those writings are given to us for a different purpose than Paul's writings. Paul's writings are given to us as spiritual food to build up in us maturity, okay, um, and to be really solid food, not milk, okay? Paul is not giving out milk. In fact, what does he tell, at least not normally, once in a while he does, if those that will uh, be receiving his letter are immature and he's telling them they're immature, he's giving them milk, yes, but he says it takes strong food, it takes meat in order to build up uh, the believer and to give that believer believer spiritual maturity, right? Uh, Peter writes differently. He says, you need this, the milk and that's all, right? It's a very different kind of a situation in which he's writing. But Paul wants to build up the believers. He wants them to be edified. He wants them to have spiritual maturity, right? And you can't have it by living on milk all the time. Simply impossible. You've got to have the the heavier food, which is translated, you know, it's solid food or, or meat is the word found here. Okay? That's necessary. Well, the analogy is a very good one. Everyone knows that uh, babies need milk, but, but uh, they'll never become uh, mature adults just on the basis of milk. They'll be limited in certain ways. They need solid food very, very uh, critically. So that's what Paul is saying here. These letters provide the spiritual food for the saints today. Okay? Absolutely necessary. We're going to see it a little more in a moment, although I'm so rapidly running out of time, I can't, I can't believe it. Okay. Notice we just used the word mystery earlier. Uh, when, uh, when Lisa read, she read verse 26, where Paul writes about the mystery. Now, you know what the mystery is. It's a sacred secret. And I think all of you here have been here long enough where you've studied long enough to know what the mystery is that Paul is revealing, the sacred secret, that which was kept secret. It has to do with the dispensation of the grace of God, okay? And it has to do with um, the way that God is working today under grace, and that's a distinctive working quite different from how God worked under the law, right? But but um, without saying more, since I'd like to save a little time right now, you can read in the uh, in the in the file that I put online uh, the whole set of notes here, which goes into this in a little bit more detail. But uh, Paul, uh, when he talks about the components of the mystery and the dispensation and so forth. He he is talking about the detailed revelation of how 
God is working today. And how you, therefore, as a believer, may be a part of that working. What could be more blessed than to be a part of the working of God, right? Now, many know the Lord as Savior and aren't a part of his working very much. I think it's impossible not to be part of it at all, right, if you're a believer. But but uh, because do you not still have a testimony? I mean, is there never any time when you share it, right? Uh, but for us to be fully uh, a part of the working of God under grace, it takes much more than just your salvation for that. It takes your testimony. It takes your, your ministry. It takes your life, right? Where you then demonstrate the way Paul demonstrated the sufficiency of God's grace. Okay, so Paul writes about the sacred secret and how it's now been revealed, namely the dispensation and all that that means. And note that the dispensation is given to Paul, not given to Peter and James and John and so forth. Something else is given to them. In fact, it is a dispensation that's shared with them, and they are going to sit on 12 thrones ruling the nation of Israel during the kingdom, okay, as all part of that. They're going to sit together with Christ and rule in the millennial kingdom. Uh, and their ministry earlier was in the foreshadowing period, right, that Pentecostal period, okay, ministry for the Jews for the most part and Jew and, and Gentile proselytes. But Paul is given the dispensation. It's his to manage. He said that, given to me, back there, Colossians chapter 1. Now, what do we find in verse 25? Linda, would you please read Colossians 1, verse 25? Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Okay. A minister according to the dispensation of God given to me. And the purpose is, is for all of us. Okay. So knowing what the dispensation is, is most, most critical. I don't need to say more, do I? It's how God is working. Just think of the, of it that way. How is God working today? Well, you look at the nations and their, their, their trials and tribulations and the evil that's perpetrated and, uh, all of this, and you'll wonder where God is working, right? Well, I'll tell you, when we know what the dispensation of God is, we know how God is working, according to the riches of his grace, okay? Now, what is the blessing of it all? Patty, would you please read, and this is where we'll have to stop today, but the blessing of it all, some of this we'll deal with uh, two weeks from today, Lord willing, but I just want you to see the heart of it now. Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 to 29, Patty. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect, in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me 
Okay, thank you, Patty. Well, I am going to start here next time, but let's not leave this today without understanding the full dimension of the blessing that we have as believers today, right, under grace, and as Paul reveals it here. Notice what he says. To make known the riches of the glory. Paul isn't missing words. He wants to add more words to give the full scope and and uh, <laughs> glory of it. So he uses the word glory a number of times, right? The riches of the glory. That means all the wealth of it. All the wealth of what? All the wealth of the glory of God? All the wealth of the glory of God. In other words, all the extent and, and height and, you know, height, depth, but so forth. Uh, you've heard this before, right? Concerning the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, right? And so here he says, the riches of the glory of the mystery. In other words, what is the actual capstone of it all? What's at the top of it? He identifies what's at the top of it. It's Christ. Christ is at the top of it, but he doesn't leave it at that. He says, Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, okay? And he doesn't leave it at that either, but just think for a moment. Christ in you? Oh, now, how many messages you've heard down through the years, if you've been a believer a long time, are all about Christ in you? Oh, it's all about other things usually, maybe the Holy Spirit in you, right? But Christ in you is at the very center. It is the highest point of this revelation Paul is giving here. Okay, at the very highest, the very most important thing is to know that Christ is in you. Now, we're going to see as we go on the next couple of weeks how Paul writes about this all the time. Right. This is at the very center of his whole message that Christ is in us believers today. And that changes everything. If Christ were not in us, but only the Holy Spirit was in us, it would be one thing. It would be not the same as what it is now. Christ is in us, dwelling within us. So is the Holy Spirit. By the way, so is God the Father. All three parts, all three aspects of the Trinity are dwelling within the believer day. So Paul reveals that in a number of verses. Okay. So Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now notice what he says next in the same breath. It's this Christ that Paul preaches, the Christ that's in you. This is the Christ according to the heavenly revelation. It's not the Christ uh, according to the earthly revelation. Okay? In fact, Paul says he doesn't even know that Christ anymore. He says he used to know him. Right? You can read about that in uh, where Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, right? Okay, so that's why Paul doesn't quote from Christ in his earthly ministry, right? This is the Christ who's heavenly, who is now in us Gentiles, right? And notice he says what the purpose of it all is, that he might present every man perfect. That means mature. It doesn't mean without sin. That's not what it's all about. It means having reached the goal God ordained for members of the body of Christ, right? To present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Okay, so there's a divine enabling, okay, 
Christ is in us. He is the hope of glory. He has changed everything. His indwelling in us is most critical to know. The rest of it here we'll look at next time. But uh, Paul's own ministry and how it was empowered by this indwelling Christ. Okay, And therefore, he's our example in this, how our lives are also to be empowered by the indwelling Christ. Well, I've gone over time by many minutes, but I hope and pray that this has been a blessing to you to see the different dimensions of this, right? Um, Christ uh, gave to Paul something that, that Paul calls the fullness of the word of God, the, the completion of it, okay? That which had not been revealed before, now it's been revealed, so now it's complete. The word of God is complete. And that has consequences. It has consequences. It's to Paul that we go for our spiritual food so that we might be built up and edified, become mature, so that we might appropriate all of the riches of the glory of Christ in us, right? That our hope may never falter, always be on him, right? And that the fullness of life, even the riches of eternal life, might be therefore exhibited in us day by day and hour by hour. This spiritual food will make you healthy if only you will take God as word through Paul, okay? It has to be the center of our focus, ultimately, or we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on what God is doing today, because this is what God is doing today. His greatest work today is in the heart of believers. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, it's overwhelming uh, for us to see so much revealed that we may have forgotten or perhaps never even seen before. But, Father, thank you so much for that revelation. May it be a great blessing to us today as we uh, go on in this life one step at a time. And may your glory be revealed in us. Uh, and, of course, uh, that would be the greatest blessing at all for this life. And yet we look forward to the life to come. In Christ's name, amen.